Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are the worst girl gang ever. We're proudly sponsored by our friends at Mercy Mama. If you're looking for a special sentimental piece for yourself, then look no further. They're a personalised jewellery brand and everything they do is hand engraved, making the perfect keepsake for you or a loved one. What's so special about their pieces is that you can actually customise them with any metal colour, adding birthstones and gemstones and finish off with an engraving of meaningful names, dates or messages. I absolutely love my bracelet from Mercy Mama. It's got my children's initials on. And we know from experience how special this keepsake jewellery is, don't we? Yeah, we do. I've got a rose gold necklace with initials on the front and a little, little message that's on the back that no one else can see, but I know it's there. It's quite special. Oh, it's so special. And the, the great thing is that they've offered us a 15% discount for all our listeners using Girl Gang 15 when you shop online. And the website is www.mercymamonboutique.com. If you can't spell that, don't worry. We'll stick it in the podcast description. Sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode. Louise, we are a bit out of practice. That's okay. We haven't recorded a podcast in how long? It's been a while. It's like, been a minute. I don't know. Like our last couple of months we recorded was that live one we did with Alison. Yeah. Um, yeah God, it has been a while. But, but yeah, before that, we're probably talking August. August time. So oh. we are a little out of practice. Not that we were ever in practice, really. We were never, never much <laughs> Thank good. Thank you so much, Mum. Sorry. Got a cup of tea. Got a cup of tea. Mum, have you got a coaster? Because I know how particular you are um, about your... Mum, is it a sh- girl gang, Mum? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. That's shocking. She's <laughs> not Mum Laura's cross with you because it's not a worse girl gang mug. There's no excuse as well because she's gotten off of them. Not well, she's got one knocking around. I'm re- I'm so sorry, Mum. Bex's favourite mug. She can't. They can't hear you. Can. <laughs> she, oh, did you hear? She said that. That's my favourite mug. That no, I always heard her. <laughs> she's oh, sorry. Got into your microphone. Okay, thanks, Mum. So I'll bring, I'll bring <laughs> the right one up next time. <laughs> so you can hear her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Louise. Anyway, no, I'm okay. I'm at my mum's house. <laughs> as professional as always. Yeah. yeah, it's. I love the fact that you're like, yeah, we're a bit out of practice. I mean, we're never great. No. We? Listen, that's what makes it what it is, though. Yeah, you've listened to before, so you know we're a bit slapdash. Rough, rough around the edges is our favourite term. <laughs> it's all good. Anyway, yeah. uh, is this going to be the first episode of season? The next season. I don't know. It can be. Okay. Louise, would you like to go first? Do you want to go first, Louise? Why not? Okay. All right. So, so should we say welcome to season four? Yeah, well, I was going to say that, but I mean, you just said it. So is that you saying it or are you going to make you a bit more? say it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome. I said Louise can say it. Oh, I thought you said you can say it. You cut out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what am I saying, guys? You say Thanks. welcome to season four of the worst girl gang ever. Welcome to season four of the worst girl gang ever. Woo-hoo. Oh, well done. That was I'm way left. better than Laura usually does it. But I love that we've had our traditional argument about yeah. who's going to do it. Before. You've now got to say, hi, I'm Bex. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. Yeah, welcome to season oh, four, guys. Welcome to season four. As you can see that we've put in a lot of practice <laughs> and uh, we've been to a few podcasting lessons since this <laughs> anyway. <laughs> But we are, all all jokes aside, we are really, really happy to be joined by Louise um, here on 
this episode one season four so thank you for joining us Louise putting your story in our less than capable hands (laughs) welcome yes welcome to the studio my studio is definitely more upper class than my last one because I'm at my (laughs) mum's house it's a bit more tasteful (laughs) um but yeah thanks for joining us so maybe if you could just start us with um with what what makes you a member of the worst girl gang ever that'd be great um during lockdown um I have made the decision to live with the person that I was kind of in a relationship with. We've not been together that long, sort of in the July. So we've moved in together. Obviously made the decision in the March to move in together. In the July, um, I found out I was pregnant. Um, I had a coil fitted at the time, which obviously oh, wow. made it a bit of a panic. Obviously with everything going on, made an appointment to try and get the coil removed and see kind of what could be done at that point didn't get far enough to get to an appointment uh before coming home on I remember it quite vividly like a a Tuesday um thinking I'll go and have a bath and basically just realizing that there was a problem and then basically from there ending up in hospital and realizing I had an ectopic pregnancy so went from kind of no pregnancy planned at all to this ectopic pregnancy in hospital couldn't have anyone with me at all yeah. um so yeah basically ending up having surgery and and losing a tube so oh, Louise, I'm so sorry that's just so shit it must be such yeah. a head fuck as well to go from not pl- well not even planning to move in together but being forced to make that decision to move in yeah. together because of lockdown then to, you know, having the coil as well is like super reliable, right? As a form of contraception. Well, actually, you say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to tell the sister, yeah. <laughs> My sister was actually born with a coil in her head, just under the skin of her head. So, yeah, wow. she planned. Yeah. So, but on the whole, I believe that the coil is supposed Apparently to be so. pretty, pretty reliable. So then to find out that you were pregnant, with the coil yeah. that must have been a real another big headspace that you've got to get yourself into and quickly and then yeah to go from I mean that and, oh gosh yeah to go from kind of like you say you know I think I listen to lots of the stories that you guys talk to people about and a lot of them are people that are trying to get pregnant and we yeah. just we weren't in that position obviously it's something we want in the future but we just at that point we weren't in that position and it kind of yeah it, it was just a massive shock to find out and then to literally a week later be kind of yeah being prepped for emergency surgery within two hours and you know so had you just started getting your head around it and thinking okay this is happening now yeah you know I remember doing the test and kind of us both looking at each other and just being like oh no what are we gonna do like this isn't planned like there, there's a lot there's lots of other complications in the background um I just sort of started to get my head around it at the point when yeah that kind of happened and I can still remember now kind of coming down and saying to him, he was sitting on the couch and saying to him sort of, you know, that we've got a problem, like there's something wrong. And um, what was it, what was it, sorry, Louise, what was it to alert you to that problem? Was it pain or bleeding or? It was bleeding. Okay. Um, so I'd had little bits of bleeding, but nothing major. But this was like bright red, like you couldn't mistake it for kind of, you know, just anything else. It yeah. was yeah at that point I wasn't in a massive amount of pain um so I hadn't got to the point where I was in a massive amount of pain but when I then went to the hospital 
Um, they, they sort of wouldn't let him in with me. He, he was allowed to queue up with me and get me to the desk, but that was as far as he was allowed to come, mm. even though I was obviously, you know, pregnant. And it was just, no, no one can come in. That's it. The A&E doctor was actually going to send me home. He was kind of like, you know, I think it's just a miscarriage. You know, these things happen. And it was only that he went and spoke to one of the women on the gynae ward that she said, no, she's not going home. Mm. We're keeping her in, you know. She did an examination that night and I just remember saying to her, what do you think it is? And she said, I think it's an ectopic. And what was it that, because obviously if you're experiencing just, and you were what, maybe six six weeks? I think, yeah, five five weeks and six days. Okay, so you had that bleeding but what, because I think most people would phone and say, I've got this bleeding and they'd say, I'm really sorry. You know, I think that you're, you're having mm. a miscarriage. So what was it that made them think that you were having an ectopic? Because I had the coil. So generally oh. if you do get pregnant and you have got a coil, the majority of the time it will be somewhere it shouldn't be. Okay. Because effectively the coil prevents pregnancy in the womb, but not in other places. Wow. Oh my gosh. I didn't, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, oh that's the sound of you that night when you went in so they kept me in um and I had to wait until the next morning to be scanned Mm. um and it was sort of about 11 o'clock the next morning and they they walked me around and I remember lying there and the woman was kind of going it's okay I scanned someone last week with the coil and you know it turns out the baby was in just the right place it was fine Uh, no problem and I was sort of like I don't know if that's going to make that's making me feel better or worse because I just don't know how this is going to go. And I, and I remember her starting the scan um, and not saying anything to me, but kind of buzzing somebody else and saying, can you bring a chair in? And at that point, without her even telling me, mm. I knew there was something wrong. Mm. Um, and then I sort of remember, you know, she finished scanning me and she sort of just very bluntly said, you know, the pregnancy is in the wrong place, you know, you started bleeding into into your stomach, basically, like you're going to need emergency surgery. And I was like, and it was as blunt as that. There was no compassion. And I don't know if that was better or worse for her to be blunt. You know, I don't know if I needed her to be a bit blunt at that point and just. You want to, I think it's a really difficult, delicate balance, isn't it? Because you don't want it. You don't want any false hope in a way. Yeah, yeah. You want to be real with you, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you want them to be you real, but you want some compassion, some bedside manner, yeah. because it is a horrible thing to hear. Yeah, you know, you don't just you don't round up with the mask and the visor, yeah, and that sort of stuff. And you don't just like phone someone and say, "Oh, oh hiya, yeah, you're, you know, someone that you know is dead." You're like, "I'm so sorry to have to yeah. tell you." You know, I just think that there's definitely. Uh, some education needed in the uh, in the bedside manner of people that have to do this a lot because yeah. for them they have to do it a lot but for us it's a it's the absolute worst thing to hear right it so, just I remember kind of being wheeled back around and it was it was that point as well where you know everyone had masks on you couldn't really see people's faces and it's mm. just and even that just made things you know worse and I remember going back around to the ward and they were like they hadn't let me eat anything since the night before just in case anyway um and they were kind of like right you've already started bleeding from this so basically it's at a point where it started rupturing you need to be in surgery within the next two hours Mm. um and at that point luckily they said do you does your partner want to come in um and it was at that point it was down to just you know the people on the ward whether they they let them in or not but but they did um so luckily I had him there 
Otherwise, I'd have been, and then, you know, I've read lots of stories since then. Lots of people have ended up on their own in those positions and and having no one there at all. Mm. I think I was quite lucky in that sense. But it's really difficult for men when they're just on the outskirts and they all, you know, they're pretty powerless in these situations anyway. Yeah. Not being able to even be there to like hold your hand and help you through it. It's, it's really tough. So was he relieved to be able to come yeah, in? Yeah, I think he was. Um, it was a difficult one because I didn't want to tell my parents. So right. he came along um, and was kind of the only person that knew. Did, so you uh, didn't want to tell your parents that you were that you were pregnant? Just about the whole situation. Obviously, it was locked down. I knew they weren't just going to be able to get in the car and come down. And sure, yeah. I, they weren't going to be able to be there. And I almost felt like at the time, and this, you know, you may relate to this, or it may sound really stupid, but I thought, I can't cope with my mum sitting there and looking at me. Yeah. With that worried look on her face. Mm. And I just thought, I can just about cope with what's going on. I can't cope with having her there and feeling like I've almost got to hide how I feel because I don't want to upset her. Yeah. I think it's been really hard. The thing about COVID and Laura touched on it as well, saying, you know, that it's difficult for men to kind of deal with it. Is that a part of it is that with COVID and the restrictions being what they were, certainly at, at the time when you had mm. your experience and, and mine, is that there was a lot of sort of disbelief because I remember when I told Rob what happened he was sat in the car park and I had to explain what I'd just seen with my own eyes yeah so I was able to kind of get my head around it quite a lot faster than he was and he was just like but how do they know how are you sure are you yeah. sure whereas I know if he'd been with me and it talked it through with a doctor or, or you know a sonographer he'd have been like okay I okay we can move on from this and that must be the case with you as well to just make have to make that call and say actually I've got to go to surgery, you know, without actually being there and seeing the doctors and hearing this professional language and being in the clinical environment. It must be a really difficult thing to get your head around. Well, luckily, I mean, I'd obviously phoned him and said, you know, look, this is going to be happening. Can you get here? Um, About five minutes before he arrived, the doctor came in to talk me through the procedure and what was going to happen. It was only at that point that she explained that I'd lose the tube completely. Um, And I remember just kind of, sitting there and being like and I just said to her look he's going to be here in five minutes can you explain this to him again because I don't think I can explain it and she she was lovely and she did as soon as he came back she gave us a few minutes and and then she came back and she sort of started all over again and explained to him because he'd obviously gone home the night before and done his own bit of googling and and was obviously in worst case scenario in his head so it was nice for him to be able to get that explanation from them um as well because I just thought I can't explain that again I, I wouldn't know how to yeah. and also you're so shocked I mean that must have been if you if you had no idea did you know what ectopic pregnancy was before you had one no not no. really and I think if you you have that shock and then you have to sort of get your head around the fact that you will lose a tube which will have an effect on your fertility right it, mm-hmm. you know that that in your in your mind that's probably what you're thinking about yeah so then have to take on board that news digest that and then relay it to someone else without knowing any of the background must be that's really hard but I bet so many women especially during lockdown have had to kind of do that for for people which puts another whole element in this whole (laughs) challenging enough as it is experience yeah definitely to not be able to have somebody there with you is just you know and I remember you know you've got to sign all the forms and I remember particularly the form about 
what do you want us to do with, you know, as they call it, you know, the remains. And I, and I remember her handing me the form and she talked to us both about it. And I just, I had to pass it back to her and I said, I, I just sat there with it, with the pen in my hand and I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I just sort of stared at it and, and he was kind of like, you know, do, do you want to just to, just to sign it? So in the end I had to like pass it back and, but, you know, particularly I think for both of us, it was just, we went from sort of zero to a hundred so quickly it kind of you don't get time to to digest it at all and I think it took me a good two or three months afterwards to really think actually this is what's happened to me it's it did take a long time and your hormones Mm. all over the place yeah you're not in the right frame of mind anyway no no I never remember ever having a form to sign that mentioned remains or anything like that yeah I had to go and so with us, Rob Rob was the one who was desperate to take our baby home. And my initial reaction was, no, don't want to, just want to, you know, I just want it to be over. It's just hated every everything about it, obviously. But Rob was like, I just really want to take the baby home. And we had to, he had to really go into the hospital corridors and track someone down and find someone and fight in order to find a form to say that's what we wanted to do. Yeah. They were all just wanted to, they were like, it's not really what we do. We don't really do that. Um, and he had to really, really if, if he had been more sort of shy and retiring person, we wouldn't have been able to, to do that. that. No. That was, you know, in between them kind of prepping you for surgery and saying this could happen, we've got to prepare for this. If this goes wrong, we've got to open you up, you know, and you're sitting there thinking... Oh my God. And, and, and then they hand you that form. Direct to me, don't they? They're like, yeah. oh, if all goes wrong, we'll have to remove your uterus. And then you'll be like, completely freaking barren. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God. And I remember waking up from surgeries, just like, just praying. The first question I would ask is, have I still got my uterus? Have, yeah. Yeah. That's terrifying, isn't it? That's so terrifying. Yeah. And I, know, and I certainly think now, I mean, we kind of decided that we obviously, we, we want to try and, it just wasn't the right time. So we've kind of gone, take, taken a step back, taken the pressure off, gone back with contraception and then are looking at, you know, maybe if you had a coil, yeah, yeah, if you had a coil fitted. Yeah. Have <laughs> you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Purely because I just, so. It's not going to happen twice, is it, right? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My thought was, I just, I don't want anything with hormones in it because my sister had quite a few problems um, and it was masked a lot by the fact she was on the pill. So I've always been quite conscious of that, but I've had, you know, AMH tests done, I've had scans done, you know, I paid for bits, you know, to to double check everything. I paid to have the coil put in privately, um, which was a much better experience than having it on the NHS. But yeah, yeah, and, and some days I feel guilty for having the coil put back in because I think I've had the same thing put back in that caused me the problem but from what the doctor said to me if an ectopic was going to happen it'd happen regardless of the coil mm. if you had the coil or you didn't have the coil yeah. it'd happen you still have ectopics when they don't yeah. have a coil right so yeah yeah but well done for you to you for like having all the testing and things done because you've, you've done everything in your power to put your mind at ease and to make sure you're in the best shape possible yeah um, and that must be like a less of a worry and a little bit more of a relief, knowing that that everything is as good as it can be while you yeah. take your time to enjoy, you know, your, your relationship and do what you need to do in life before you're ready to 
to- I, I still get days where I get a pain on that side and I think oh no like I need oh, to keep gosh. that side safe but I don't yeah. know if that's you know if other people experience that but certainly do you know about the tube so what tube have you got missing your left I've no, I've got my, I've still got my left. Oh, I've lost, right. lost my left. But so I thought I could only get pregnant once every two months. Right. And I'm a nurse. I, I don't know. What do they teach you in nursing school? I don't <laughs> know. But your, your remaining tube can go to both ovaries. Can go to both sides. That's mental. That's crazy to think Like an elephant with a <laughs> peanut. If, for those of you who can't see, which is all of you, apart from we're <laughs> doing a move, I'll stick it on stories later. <laughs> Elephant with a peanut. Yeah. Blop, blop. Yeah, it's so clever. Yeah, it's crazy. So but, how is, in the, in the, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, but, you know, even that, so, you know, you say you didn't realise it could do that. I think you go into this panic mode after things like this and you kind of, you read everything and you kind of, read what other people's experiences have been and and you do you learn a lot about the body that without this going on you would never have known you know mm. like I I wouldn't have known that that it can go to both sides and you know if I hadn't have been reading all sorts of stories about ectopics and, and what other people have been through but it makes you realize how much of a miracle it is to have a baby in the first yeah time. like it's it is a miracle yeah, it yeah. is a miracle. And so in the days and kind of weeks and months following on from this, what did you, how did you start to feel? I think I got worse before I felt better. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd literally two weeks before it happened, I'd just started a new job as well. Oh, So I kind of didn't get much time off. I kind of threw myself straight back in after a week off. Um, even with the surgery, you know. Did you tell your work what had happened? I had to. Um, Luckily, they were really, really good. Good. Um, I took a week off, but then I just sort of, I felt like I just plodded on for quite a Mm. few months and just kind of didn't really deal with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, And I'd say sort of two or three months later, it sort of really hit me. Actually, you've lost a tube, you know, this is what you've gone through and, you know, you've lost a baby and and, yeah. I, and I did probably have quite a few moments in those months where I think I felt worse than I did at the time. I just, I felt numb at the time. Yeah. And would you say your main, your main concern when you started sort of processing everything that was going on, were you thinking about your fertility or were you thinking about your loss? I think a bit of both. Yeah. There was kind of that, you know, and I, and I do still think now about what we've lost to the point where one of the people I work with, his girlfriend was pregnant at the same time. Mm. Um, and he brought the baby into work on Friday and I just lost the plot because we would have, that would have been the same age that our baby would have been. Yeah. And it's things like that, that just set me off. It can be, it can be absolutely nothing that sets me off sometimes. And then, you know, other times, you know, I'll see babies or things that remind me of it. And it, and I'm fine about it. I kind of think, you know, it's something we've gone through, but we've come out the other side and kind of we have still got hope the other side. You know, there is, when I'm not completely going to struggle. Absolutely. I mean, some people are only born with one tube. And yeah. Born to have babies. Mm. Um, I only had one tube when I had my little boy. It's 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 still it's still possible, more than possible. It's mm. yeah. 
does it has it made you has it affected your kind are you feeling out I know that you've you've gone and you've had another coil fitted but has it was anything in you before you had that done like we should just cut we should just try now because we don't know how easy it's going to be we did oh and I had a miscarriage oh I'm so about sorry. 10 weeks <laughs> um and I almost feel guilty not talking about that one as much because you know it was traumatic, but it was kind of, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as that period of having an ectopic, losing a tube. And I, and, and, it, and I feel guilty sometimes at the fact that, you know, I may feel more for that one than that one. And I feel for both, but I feel like the ectopics affected me a lot more. I think the miscarriage, I kind of, I just kind of brushed it off and just was kind of like, it's, it's one of those things. How was the miscarriage dealt with? Was it a natural or did you yeah just natural um but then apologies my neighbors have just decided they want to start drilling what um, was that it sounded like a foghorn it was a pop-off my <laughs> the neighbors have just decided what? they want to start drilling really impressive fart or a foghorn <laughs> um sorry that was really inappropriate time <laughs> what was the question because i can't I've, remember i've blooming heck i don't know it's interesting that you had um a natural management with that with the yeah and I wonder if the the trauma of the the ectopic you know the having to have the operation and also losing mm-hmm. the tube is what made that more significant to you yeah I just sort of didn't want any sort of intervention or any kind of any more drugs than I had to have to kind of deal with it but that backfired in a lot of ways because it went on for a long time I end up having to go back and have quite a lot of scans because it just took so long. Like things just took so long to get back to normal. And Um, and can you, gosh, I'm so sorry for everything that you've been through. This is just, it's just so shit. Um, That's the thing. It's, it's just shit. (laughs) It's just shit. But have you been able to personally gain any comfort from the fact that you now know that you can get pregnant despite the fact you've only got one tube Mm. or is that like not on the table? Um, yeah, I have. I think it made me feel better that, you know, I could, but then I panic now that like, what if that was the only time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, those yeah, thoughts then go through your head a little bit. It's kind of. I know we but, often, yeah, we often talk about that. Oh, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. And I was really yeah. careful with the way I worded that because I don't want to say that, but I just wondered if there was any comfort that you could take in the fact that it had happened despite your initial concern about, you know, being able to get pregnant with just with, with, yeah the 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 tube I think if somebody had said that to me in fact somebody did say that to me after the ectopic and said but at least you know you can get pregnant and I was at that time I was like don't say that to me like that's the worst thing you could have said to me but after that one it kind of you know I felt like actually you know it is a positive thing we you know we we know we can it didn't take long for that to happen right Um, okay so kind of that was a quite positive but I still think I panic every day now about, you know, what if something happens to this to you and what if. But and, did, did you so, and take a break, like go back on the, um, have the coil, coil again. After that happened and everything settled down, I just wanted to take the pressure off a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, and we were trying to be careful and it just, you know, it's just not always possible. You know, you just, you're in a relationship and it, you, you forget be in a certain way. Let's be honest. You forget. <laughs> Or the condom comes out and all the passion disappears. Yeah. And it's like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah. 
and you know and and don't get me wrong he was great about that and he was kind of like whatever it's fine whatever we've got to do but for me I just felt like it wasn't us it wasn't what we were used to yeah. it wasn't kind of how we and wanted to be I think that's actually something that not many people recognize I just realized that I'm in my mum's house so <laughs> <laughs> Because also I've got headphones on, so I'm probably talking louder than I would do normally. Oh, I, my, right. my she, mom, listens she listens to the podcast anyway. Yeah, but it? my mum's partner's next door working. Mm. I'll be like, hi, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also I think that that's something that not many people recognise is the fact that <laughs> contraception can can really interfere with the, with the passion of a relationship, which is so bloody important. Yeah between a, a couple and I think you know ideally I wouldn't have had another coil put back in but when I looked into the other options there's so many side effects with all the other options I was kind of like I, I didn't know what the best choice was and for me it felt like that was my only one yeah and have you felt sort of in terms of your mindset and your mental space have you felt a certain comfort from deciding to give trying to conceive a little break yeah, I think so. I think we both needed that break. I think certainly I don't think he has ever really sat there and kind of really cried about it. You know, we've had a yeah. we've had a few moments, but I think he needed a break from it as much as I did. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think he almost felt like there was pressure there for him that, you know, what if, if we couldn't yeah, it's and that- for me. That must be difficult as well to, especially having been through what you've been through and having one tube, there must be, uh, it must be a pressure to go, well, actually, you know, I, I should, we should just keep going. We should. So yeah, so much like respect for you for being able to kind of step away from that, that inbuilt kind of pressure that we have, I think as women to, to procreate, especially when you know what you've, what you've lost. It's Is really noise again. <laughs> Yeah, it's the old foghorn. <laughs> Louise, look, if you have beans for breakfast, we're not judging you. That's fine. Did you tell your mum in the end? No. Really? really? About either? At the time, it was kind of, there was a lot going on, obviously with lockdown and stuff. I hadn't seen them. And I kind of kept telling myself, I'll tell them when I see them in person. Um, I told my sister after a little while. And she's been, you know, she's been been great about it. But I know I haven't told my mum yet. I haven't really. I just feel like I haven't found the right time to tell her. And I almost feel like now it's been and gone. I don't want to panic her about it. Mm. You know, I think she felt guilty about my sister struggling a little bit. And she was kind of like, I just wanted things to be easy for both of you. And I just yeah. didn't want to add to that pressure for her. <laughs> Where do you say your sister? What happened with your sister? Um, so she. I mean, you don't have to go into detail. No, in that her eggs died off too quick um okay so when it came to it she didn't have enough eggs left to do IVF even oh, and that's why you had the, your sorry that's a little a little boy called Harry um oh, nice. who you know is gorgeous you know we all love him but yeah so she couldn't do it naturally um even with the help of IVF she wouldn't have had enough to do it and that's why you had your AMH levels tested yes. after yeah. yeah gosh oh wow that's interesting because if your if your sister hadn't have been through that, you would probably wouldn't even have looked into it. No, 
Um, it just shows that talking about it and knowing about it is just so empowering. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it, it empowers you to to take sort of charge of your own situation, doesn't it? Mm. And that's why I kind of, I've heard so many people come on and talk to you guys and so many of them are people that have been trying to get pregnant. Mm. And I think my story just felt a bit different to that. It was kind of, yeah. we really weren't trying. It just happened and then we had to deal with it. And yeah. I think we did um, we did a series of posts called misconceptions a while ago, and uh, we one of them was miscarriages, or, or you know, loss is still heartbreaking whether you were planning to have a baby or not. Because yeah. I think there's there's this huge misconception that people not trying to have a baby get pregnant, lose the baby, and they're like, oh, oh lucky escape, yeah. phew, you didn't want it anyway, don't worry, like you're some sort of machine that just goes, oh, well. Oh, it's fine. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, and it's just not like that, is it? No. And for anyone who's listening who is in a similar situation, there are a couple of other podcasts where we've discussed with people that um, that weren't trying. There's Reese and Layla in um, series. Oh, come on, Laura, you're usually, you're a library. At the end of series two, and then also with Megan, in series three. Oh yeah. 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 There's not a great deal of them, but there are a couple of others. But and it's, I think and that's I, the thing. So much of what you read out there as well, people's stories online. It is a lot of people that have been trying and and it is there's that element of, you know, should I just be like, well, we weren't planning this? You know, should I feel just like, oh, it's fine. No, you just can't. You just you're you can't feel like that. But also there's this huge, uh, like, kind of, I keep saying huge, sorry. Um, there's huge misconception. Re- really large <laughs> misconception. <laughs> I haven't done an allergy. Don't worry. I'm, it's, there's one brewing. Um, oh, I've lost a chain of thought now. Uh, oh, there's this, the, the whole um, feeling valid is that I think we, we wrote a post about the fact that we don't allow ourselves to grieve because we don't feel entitled entitled right yeah and I think that is a big thing with you said yourself lots and lots of people in this community were trying for a baby and I think you almost or one almost if they weren't trying doesn't feel as entitled to the grief as people who have been trying for a number of years or have had a number of losses or whatever because you kind of like well you know this put this poor lady's been through this and I we weren't even trying to get pregnant but she's been trying for she's had IVF I had a coil fitted and and I think that is really tough uh because it just it, it, it's a real mental difficult thing to get your head around the fact that you are just it's all experiences within this baby loss community are completely valid and oh, completely separate yeah. louise said it can, herself like even even herself having two different losses she thinks of them differently yeah and that's that is so important for everyone to realize that you're entitled to feel however you you feel about and no, of your losses no, nothing go on bex you say it no oh, no compare what? <laughs> what were you going to say? Like something inspirational? Oh, I probably was. Yeah, you can't. Compare. Every experience, <laughs> every experience. It's there's no, it's non-comparable. There's nothing worse, better. You can't. There's, you know, every experience is different. It's so yeah. different. A, a stillbirth is so different to an early loss, but you can't compare the two. And I think that that is another hugely misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> aspect of baby loss is that we're all sort of well not us all but people rank 
each grief or each loss in a certain way. When there actually, is no hierarchy. There's no hierarchy in grief. There's just yes. a lot, a, a, a huge amount of different huge. experiences. Huge, hugely That's different. Really huge amount of hugely different experiences. <laughs> That's definitely the word of the day. God. <laughs> and they can't, they can't be compared. Huh? Can anyone tell that we're out of practice? <laughs> hugely. We are hugely out of practice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just think that's a really important thing to remember is that when yeah. you're sat there thinking, my loss isn't as important as important as so-and-so's loss, and it's compounded by people that go, oh, you had a miscarriage, I'm really sorry. Oh, yeah, my sister Nora actually had a stillbirth. Because you're like, okay, that's I really now feel very weird about saying how yeah. upset I am and how grief stricken when you're telling me that someone else has had something. And it just shouldn't be that way. Your experience is your experience and the, the pain it causes you is is a whole is to do with a whole multitude of things like how you were brought up and where you are anyway mentally, how well you deal with you know, stuff that happens in your life, your coping your mechanisms. Previous experiences, for example, going through that traumatic ectopic and then having um, uh, yeah standard she says with bunny ears I think they're called quote quote marks well, I like bunny ears okay that's cool bunny ears sounds good bunny ears sounds good yeah I had someone say to me the other day they we were talking about 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 my book oh is it too early to mention my book oh my god <laughs> no I mean it's not nearly as early as I thought it was gonna be <laughs> talking about my book and uh I mentioned that they asked me how many miscarriages I'd had and I actually at the time I couldn't remember how many it was and they were like oh lots then I said yeah lots um and uh they said oh my goodness that's awful all full term were they and I said no they were all early and they went oh oh well at least that's something I was like yeah yeah." it was (laughs) it was I had a really similar thing in the fact that I was having my hair done and just making conversation this whole you know what do you do for a living came up so I'm a photographer and I sort of said that and then I was like no say it say it say it say it so I was like and then I do this is like, oh my gosh that's amazing what made you do this and I said well we actually lost the baby during lockdown and I could tell from her reaction that she thought I meant a, a, had a stillbirth baby and it's then like do you what do you say because then I felt like anything I said was you know I'm not going to give myself that that get out of of, of not even a get out but I'm not going to say oh but it was only early because for me it was like the most life-changing experience painful blah, blah, blah. so I did lose a baby and it's really difficult to continue your narrative without being affected by societal pressure I think mm. because you do want to say you you just feel in oh I can't I can't it's been a while I can't think of the right words to say it but you're constantly you trying to do yourself down and I hate that. I hate that. Oh, don't yeah. worry, though, because it was it was just an early miscarriage. It was just this. It was just that. It's never just anything. You lose your baby and your grief is valid. Yeah. Mic drop. I say I'm a, it's okay because I'm used to it. Yeah, exactly. That's my go-to. It's okay. Yeah, don't worry about, you know, I've had so many. It's... I'm a veteran. Used to it. And that's awful, too. Silly. You shouldn't think that. It's bloody painful. It's horrible. Did you Louis... find that? after your loss that you felt you kind of looked around like I find some days I look around at people and I think have you had it so easy Mm. you know you don't want this as much as me like how have you had it that easy you know they they don't even try and it just happens for them 
Oh, I think, no. yeah. Like you say, those ugly thoughts, I think some days I still have a lot of those. Some days, I mean, not a day goes by where I don't feel a little pang here and there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the big one for me is uh, it's just what you experience the most of. So it's like people trying for a baby, but not trying for a baby, have a baby. They don't particularly, they don't get on and then don't make the best decisions for the child. And, you know, when you're like, I really struggled that, I really struggled with that soon after I was, um, soon after I was, I, I had my loss. Really, I found it really, really difficult. Like my, yeah. our baby was was born out of such love and so desired and so wanted and stuff. And how do these accidental pregnancies happen when it's so bloody hard to get pregnant? Oh, Louise, I hope that um, when you do start trying again, it all runs smoothly for you. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. And keep in touch. And thank you so much. It's been really, really lovely to have your honesty as well, uh, um, especially about your two different losses and how they've affected you differently. I think it's been, I think it will really help a lot of people come to terms with the fact that everything's different. Each people's mm-hmm. experience is bit different. I'm sorry you haven't really said much in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> it's nice to listen to your thoughts as well and kind of and realise that, and I think that's the whole point of this, isn't it? You know, you're not alone in a lot of this. There are people out there that have gone through the same thing. There's probably somebody out there that's listening to this and thinking that's exactly what I went through. Well, that's very similar. And mm. hopefully this, you know, either helps them or makes them feel a little bit more kind of less alone in yeah. the whole scenario. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you very much for having me. Let us know if you tell your mum. I will. Yeah, don't recommend our podcast to her, will you? <laughs> Maybe that's how you could tell her. I might just send it to my sister and say, forward this to mum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> listening. Oh, bless her. No, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. And um, keep in touch as well. Yeah, I will do. Good. Look after yourself. All the best. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.